You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. Good morning. I feel good. I feel a little bit like... uh, like it's loud, but I feel I felt the Holy Spirit in worship this morning, and then that kind of adds to the like the excitement, but also the nervousness. But it's perfect because I'm preaching a little bit on kind of those nervous, fearful feelings, and it's gonna be good. So um, I kept in the Q and A, but this is James's phone number, so he may get your questions if you have questions. But feel free to send those um, if you have them. And we're continuing with our series on failure um, and failing forward. So making use of our failure or letting God make use of our failure. And this is hard because we hate to fail. Um, I think that's one of our fears. I'm talking about fears today, and I think that's one of them. And that's what keeps us from pushing forward. And at the root of our failure, and the fear of failure is shame. Um, which is feeling like you're a bad person or you're flawed or you're defective. There's something wrong with you because you're failing and you're not perfect. And um, we're not perfect. So failure is going to be one of God's greatest tools to healing. And I was thinking this morning, um, most of you know that I teach chemistry and I uh, learned chemistry before I started teaching it. And in science, hopefully I learned it, right? (laughs) Sometimes I don't really feel like I learned it. Uh, they like try to, Matt would like ask me something that seems like an easy chemistry question and I don't know. I only know what I teach now. So um, that failure in science isn't that bad of a thing. You expect to fail until you find the way that the world works, until you find that principle or that, that solution to the problem. And so in the context of science, failure isn't, it's just as useful as success. Um, but personally, failure can be devastating, right? It feels like you're defective. And we are going to be talking about Peter and his journey, and he has multiple failures we see in Scripture. We're going to be talking about one of them, but I do, I'm going to kind of mention a few of them um, as we get to that point. Peter was um, a disciple and then made to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. He may be one of, I mean, we know King David, but he may be one of the most known people we're talking about, I feel like, because um, there's just so much of Jesus's ministry that Peter is involved in. Um, And I was going through the Gospels, and I skimmed because I thought that could take a long time, and I was just looking for Peter's name and what he's involved in, and I didn't realize how many of the famous stories we know about Jesus's um, life and teaching involves Peter and Peter's name, Peter's kind of at the center of some of these. Um, So Peter is called to be a disciple. He's a fisherman, um, and he's called in all four of the Gospels. You see his call, um, sometimes described a little bit differently, but in Luke, there's there's a real passage where it focuses on him um, and his brother and some other fishermen that are with him, and Jesus does a miracle for them in his call, And he has them throw the nets out. They've been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. He has them go out again, throw the net in, and they haul in more fish than they can almost carry. It almost breaks the nets. And they realize, Peter realizes who this is. And he's like, I am a sinner. I, you know, 
he's, he's struck with that feeling that you see kind of in the Old Testament when people are confronted with God. He's just like, I'm not worthy to be with you. And Jesus calls him and says, follow me. Um, then after some time, Peter's mother-in-law is healed. I decided to skip that. Um, Peter is ordained as one of the 12 apostles. So now he's got, um, these are the people that we think of as like the 12 disciples. There were a lot of disciples, but there are 12 apostles. And he is tasked as one of these 12 to take the gospel um, to the community and to eventually to the rest of the world. Um, Peter follows Jesus onto the water. He walks on water. This is a miracle, but also one of his failures is he takes his eyes off Jesus, right? And he starts to sink and he becomes very afraid. So we see this boldness and fear in the same story in this case. Peter is the one that Jesus says, who do you say that I am? People around say I might be Moses or Elijah or the return of some of these prophets. And Peter says, I think you're the Christ. Um, Jesus starts to foretell his death, that that's something that's happening, and Peter thinks this is terrible and says it can't be, don't, we can't let this happen. And famously, Jesus says, get away from me, Satan, right? Peter is at the center of, of some of these uh, these moments. Peter asks about forgiveness. Peter witnesses the transfiguration of Jesus. So he's one of three, I think three or four that are chosen to go with Jesus um, away and witnesses him in his kind of glory um, as the son of God. Um, Jesus at the last supper washes the disciples feet. He gets to Peter Peter says, you can't wash my feet. I won't let you wash my feet. That's too low for you to do. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need me to let me wash your feet. And then Peter says, okay, wash my feet, but also wash my head and wash my hands. And like, if I have to be washed to follow you, wash all of me. And Jesus says, I really only have to wash your feet. No. <laughs> like, I don't, have to, I don't have to do that. And he's like, okay, okay. Like, he's just so big, right? He's got these big feelings, and he's like, I'm all in um, until we see that he, he kind of pulls out. Uh, he's, a little bit, he's a little bit nervous. Um, Jesus predicts Peter's denial in the same dinner, the Last Supper. Um, he predicts his death. He's going to have to go to death. You're gonna, I'm going to go somewhere and you can't follow me. And Peter says, why can't I follow you? I want to follow you. And Jesus says, kind of you won't yet. In fact, you're all going to fall away. Peter says, I won't. I'm going to stay with you. And Jesus says, actually, you're going to deny me tonight three times before the rooster crows. He says, no, I won't. I promise I won't. Um, and then... He's taken to, he goes to Gethsemane to pray. He takes, again, a few of his disciples and says, pray for me, keep watch, and goes to pray. While, we know this, a lot of us, right? While he's away praying, they're just exhausted. It's the middle of the night. I don't know, who knows how long they've been up. This is emotional, um, and they fall asleep. Jesus comes back to them says, what are you doing sleeping? This is, this is the time I need you awake. You should be vigilant. You should be paying attention to what's happening. And they're like, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And then he goes back to pray, and they fall asleep again. And Jesus just lets them sleep after that. They're not aware. They're really not aware of what's going on, and I think that's part of the problem. But 
Then Judas comes. He brings in the people to arrest Jesus. I think of this as a really kind of dramatic scene. I don't know how dramatic it was. But Peter's there. In three of the Gospels, it says somebody, some disciple, cuts the ear off the servant of the high priest. In one of them, I don't remember if it's John or Luke, in one of them, it names Peter as this disciple. And Peter is the one who's, this is, I got to protect Jesus. Jesus is being arrested. I can't let this happen. Cuts the ear off of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus condemns this. Um, So he's just like, he's so fiery a little bit, right? And then we get to the passage we're going to talk about today that Jesus predicted would happen. Peter is going to deny knowing Jesus. This is supposed to be an art piece of, there's supposed to be some fire. It's not really, probably was more like a, this is like a candle, probably like a Renaissance painting. But, and they all look really kind of like normal people, but, uh, you know, beards. I don't know if they were bearded, but he's in this courtyard with some servants and he's there, he's alone. He, there may be one other disciple there because one of the gospels says that he, Peter wasn't alone necessarily at that point. Um, but we're going to get to our passage. So I'm reading this um, account out of Luke, chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. After they arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the high priest's house. Peter followed from a distance And when they lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant woman saw him sitting in the firelight. She stared at him and said, this man was with him too. But Peter denied it, saying, woman, I don't know him. A little while later, someone else saw him and said, you're one of them too. But Peter said, man, I'm not. An hour or so later, someone else insisted, this man must have been with him because he's a Galilean too recognized maybe his speech. Peter responded, man, I don't know what you're talking about. At that very moment, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the Lord's words. Before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and cried uncontrollably. I picked this passage because you see Jesus looking at Peter right when it happens. Um, I saw it suggested that Jesus is in transition. He's in one part, and he's in transition as Peter denies him at the end, and maybe that's when he got that moment to just kind of look at Jesus and remember what Jesus said to him. I think throughout Peter's um, time as a disciple, but especially here, When Peter loses sight of Jesus, he becomes a coward. When he's with Jesus, he's bold. He feels that power, maybe. He feels Jesus and the the spirit Jesus has. Peter doesn't yet have. And he kind of understands it enough to be on board when Jesus is there, but then he starts to doubt, and he gets fearful. He becomes a coward. When he can't see Jesus, he takes his eyes off Jesus and sinks in the water when he starts to walk on water. He can't see Jesus when... He's in this courtyard. And so I think, it took me a few times writing this, figuring out what's the, what's the issue. And I think I came to this. I think Peter's failure comes when he takes his focus off of Jesus and starts focusing on the perceived threat or danger that's around him. Waves or other people, or maybe he thought they would kill him too, which 
is terrifying, right? He, he, doesn't, he still doesn't know yet that Jesus has to die. He doesn't know that this is kind of the plan, even though Jesus has tried to tell them. And I think we identify with this. I think we all, like Peter, find it difficult to focus on God when we perceive some threat around us or some danger. It's hard to focus. Um, and this perceived threat or danger is the thing that gives us the feeling of fear. Fear is the unpleasant, the dictionary says, unpleasant feeling when you perceive a threat or danger. And so taking our focus off of God causes us to focus more on our fears. What is it around us that's kind of threatening us? And I have a couple stories. Um, And the first one, immediately when I read this, I thought of this instance, and a lot of you may have heard it because Matt is a storyteller and he likes to tell stories. Um, he, he tells them as soon as it happens, pretty much. Uh, and he gets so excited that sometimes the words come out in the wrong order. And, but, but he's just so enthusiastic. He loves, yeah. And so we went to Disneyland a couple weeks ago. And, of course, one of the highlights, right, is... Uh, Galaxy's Edge Star Wars and we're going to this ride and you've got guards right they want to make you feel like you're really part of this and you're really a rebel and you're really in trouble right it's and and they're trying to play their part but probably not to you know they don't really want to make kids cry maybe but (laughs) but they're playing their part and Matt volunteers his sister kind of like does something. She's like says something. I don't remember what she said. Do you remember what she said? She said something. And without any, there is no threat. Matt is like, I don't know her. I don't know her. He's standing right next to her. This is what Matt says about Shelly. And they almost look identical to each other. But they don't, I don't know her. Take them, right? That's what I first thought about when I read this story. Matt didn't feel any fear. He's trying to be funny. But he's denying her without any, any cause. So um, the other thing that made me think of this, when I was reading about fear, there was an article I read that I may have be putting up here in a minute that says that you start to feel anxiety when you start to focus on fear. And once you've focused on that threat, it's hard to get your attention off of it. You just have to kind of keep your eyes locked on it so that maybe we feel like it presents less of a danger if we can see it, right? If, we've, if we have it in our sights. And that made me think of my puppy, Olive. She's about a year now, so a little bit less of a puppy, but still incredibly puppy-like. And we started taking walks around the neighborhood, and it was garbage day. Now she loves garbage day because she wants to sniff every single trash can. But early on, there were these trash cans around in the neighborhood, and there was this one recycle bin that was overflowing. And I don't know if maybe she'd never seen an overflowing one. But she saw it, and she froze. And she was staring at it, and as we were walking, she's like, I still have to keep you in my sights, all the way around, right, until we get past it. And even then, she's kind of like, 
I'm trying to drag her, and she's, and it's, of course, not dangerous, but she doesn't know that. She's like, it's this huge blue thing that's got stuff spilling out the top, and it might, if I don't look at it, it might, it might just get me, right? <laughs> and so, and I think that's kind of what we're like. I know it's not going to do anything to her. It doesn't, it's not, it's not in existence, right? But she does not know that. Um, and I feel like I think I picked this passage and this person because I think this is my personal struggle. Sometimes I think that we all have some issue that kind of um, is at the core of who we are and is like our constant battle. And for me, it manifested as a little kid um, and was just the thing that at that point I felt kind of defined me. Um, and as I started to become a preteen, I started to think, I think that's what God redeems and what what pushes you, maybe maybe your call, and I might not have been right at the time, but maybe your call is almost the you getting past that. So I always thought if I'm real, like fear is my issue, maybe boldness is going to be what God ends up kind of calling out of that. I don't know. But, but I was just always afraid. I was afraid of anything that could happen, burglars, kidnapping, like, just the worst fire. I used to have this prayer I would pray when I was about five or six that I'd made up, but that was just, I had to say it the right way, address every single issue that I had, and then I could go to sleep. And my mom, my parents were patient with me, and they would walk you know, through it. My mom would try to talk to me and be like, okay, like if this happens, if fire happens, then this is what we'll do. Let's practice. And I'm like, I don't want to practice because I'm going to look like an idiot if I pr- there's not really a fire and I had to jump out the window and like... <laughs> I don't want to look stupid while I'm dealing with my fears. And it was just the, the kind of the core of me. Um, and I think that, so I don't have a specific example because I think it's hard to pick specific examples. Um, but I think that this is, even if fear is not your core issue, I think that this is true for us because I think all of us have some fear or some issue that, you know, we take our eyes off God and there's some worry. Maybe it's worries about the government or the environment or the, there's something that you're like, I need to keep my eyes on this because um, it could present a threat if I don't, if I'm not prepared for this. Um, and this is the passage, this was just to remind me about the article that I read that says that anxiety comes when you're focused on this fear and um and it's hard to get your focus back off of it. Evidence suggests that anxiety is associated with a shift of visual attention toward threatening stimuli in the environment. And in this article, they're talking about threatening faces, right? It's a, it's a study, so they have to, they're comparing maybe threatening faces with non-threatening faces. And you're shifting your visual stimuli, which is helpful for me in this sermon because Peter, I think that's what is Peter's issue. Um, so Peter's failure, taking his eyes off God and focusing on his fears. So now we're going to get to the response and Jesus's response. And this comes sometime later. Um, Jesus has been crucified. He's risen. He's appeared to his disciples a couple of times. And now in John, John is the only gospel that addresses this event because John is there. Um, and Jesus finds them. And, and kind of uh, helps Peter, restores Peter. 
Later, Jesus himself appeared again to his disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And this is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, Zebedee's sons, and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they said, we'll go with you. They set out in a boat, but throughout the night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. Jesus called to them, children, have you caught anything to eat? They said, no. He said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they did, and there were so many fish that they couldn't haul in the net. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he wrapped his coat around him, for he was naked, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from shore, only about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw, oh, sorry. When they landed, they saw a fire there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter got up and pulled the net to shore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Yet the net hadn't torn even with so many fish. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples could bring themselves to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. And this was now the third time Jesus had appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We're almost there. When they finished eating, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Simon replied, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said to him, take care of my sheep. He asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was sad that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He replied, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I assure you that when you were younger, you tied your own belt and walked around wherever you wanted. When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and another will tie your belt and lead you where you don't want to go. He said this to show the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. All right, so we're going to go through this kind of like normal head, heart, hands. The heart and hands points for me are sort of intertwined. You're kind of going to get a flavor of each of them in the other, but um, just a heads up. But uh, I definitely have a, a distinct kind of no point, head point. Um, and, but it was a little bit kind of, mm, this one was maybe the hardest one for me to pick out. And I think that what God wants us to know in this passage is that kind of in our failure and in our fear, God is going to reappear to us and refocus us. And I think he's going to pursue us until he can kind of uh, resolve this with us. Okay, he's going to reappear to us and refocus us. And in the passage where I got that was at the beginning, Jesus reappears, and partway through it says, this is the third time he's appeared to his disciples. So it's not the first time, and then he gets Peter all buttoned up, and it's good to go. It's not the second time, and Peter's all buttoned up and good to go. But it's the third time when Peter's still seen Jesus a couple times, but he's still fishing, 
not doing kind of what God is, you know, not, not following his call at that point, that Jesus sits down with him face to face and addresses this issue. Do you love me? And, um, and follow me, still follow me, even though I've died and things are going to be a little bit different than you thought they were going to be. Um, and I think for us, I was trying to find passages that fit this. And I think with a lot of these points, there are very many passages that fit some of these points. And so I may not go through every single one. I have a lot of scripture and I had a hard time sifting through it. So I'm just going to kind of pick out pieces. But I just see everywhere where there's fear, God says, I'm with you, right? I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Don't fear because I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I've commanded you to be brave and strong. Don't be alarmed or terrified because the Lord your God is with you. And in John, peace I leave with you. I'm still with you. He ends up leaving the Holy Spirit with us. But I'm with you, so don't be troubled or afraid. Do not fear is repeated throughout the Bible over and over and over and over. And God always meets our fear with the reassurance that he is near us. Maybe he's not face-to-face with us. Sometimes he is. Sometimes he's not. But we have the spirit, and his spirit is with us. So when we've become afraid and we've taken our eyes off God, he comes back in to pull our eyes back. And sometimes that's through scripture, right? Reading that, knowing that that's true. Sometimes it's through an event or something that causes us to, to readjust our eyes. Or, um, And then I've got, so I was looking for some illustrations. And this one popped out at me. Um, and it's one of Matt's, it has a, this movie has a lot of meaning to Matt, and so I had to give him a heads up that this was going to happen. And he looks closer, and he sees his reflection transform into his father's, and his lion father appears in the clouds, because that's where he told him he would be. Um, and he refocuses him. He says, you're not made to be living with Pumbaa and Timon in the jungle, just like eating grubs, right? You were made to lead a pride and, uh, and to be the king. And in that moment, he's still afraid, but he refocuses. Um, so from this passage, what, do, what does God want us to feel? I think this was the easiest thing to pull out, but um, to connect. And I think it's love, because that's what Jesus says. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Which I think is interesting because I don't know that if I had to predict without knowing the story that that's the thing that Jesus would narrow in on is like, do you love me? Maybe I would think he'd say, why did you deny me? And like, what's the deal? And can you like get it together so that you can lead this church that I, you know, right? Suck it up. <laughs> um, but he asked if, do you love me? And he asked it three times. And Peter's like, you know that I love you. You know everything, and you know that I love you. And I think that that's important, um, and that's just evidence. I, again, I'm kind of a scientist, so I'm like, this is my proof that he said it. 
but we read it already, so we don't have to read it again. Um, so Jesus asked Peter to refocus on love, and I think that's what he asks us to do too. I think, so in 2 Timothy, he says God didn't give us a spirit that is timid, but one that's powerful and loving and self-controlled. This is how everyone will know that you are my, dis- my disciples, when you love each other, in John 13. And the person who doesn't love does not know God, because God is love. Love characterizes the disciples of Jesus. I think what also is supposed to characterize us, right, if we see Jesus' life, is bold, like we're going to be bold and we're going to stand up for the truth and we're going to, but all of this comes out of love. Love is also the antidote to fear. And bef- I, I did a lot of Googling, like what's the opposite? Like you, in popular culture, there's always like these like, what's the opposite of fear? Like what's, you know, find the opposites and people think certain things are opposites that aren't really opposites and... Love is kind of the antidote to fear, and I found this article in The Atlantic because I just wanted to look at culture, and it says that love is the medicine for fear, Um, and it says that Chinese philosophers predicted this. Jesus said this, right? Love casts out fear, John, Um, and so they're like, well, we know that, like, philosophy says this, but is this really true? And this is in the context of the pandemic, and obviously you can't read that. But it says that um, fear is an emotion produced in the amygdala um, that causes us to get, you know, like that fight-or-flight response, which is largely involuntary. Um, However, we have a natural modulator of the hyperactive amygdala, the neuropeptide oxytocin, sometimes called the love molecule. Oxytocin is often produced in response to eye contact and touch. And it can kind of reduce the response of the amygdala to fear. It's going to, Angie might know more about this than I do, I don't know. But it's going to help calm you down. And this is why this is written in the context of the pandemic because they're saying there's a lot of fear a lot of stress, a lot of distance, um, which isn't helping the city. You know, if you're a fearful person or you're anxious, um, sometimes what you need, what can help, is producing more oxytocin, which would help be um, help you when you're in contact with other people that you love. Friendship. So loneliness can be connected to anxiety and fear. Um, and then love. This is where the the heart and hand points, I felt like connected, which is good, but I kind of had to talk about one before the other, and I ended up talking about love because that was the emotion or the feeling. But love naturally leads to obedience in Scripture. This is something that those two are connected to each other when we read these passages. So love leads to obedience, and that's going to tie into what I think that God wants us to do. So for our hands point or our do point, I think we need to continue our call with courage. Obey, right? And I think that comes when Jesus says, okay, you love me. You've responded that way. This is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to take care of my sheep. If you love me, these are the things I want you to do. 
And at the very end, I read this yesterday again. I read it a few times, and I read it again. And John has a little bit after this that concerns himself. But after all of this, Peter, uh, Jesus says one more time to Peter, follow me. And I think it's beautiful. He uses a, a fish-catching miracle to get his attention again, which was the first miracle he did for him. And then he says, follow me. He's bringing him back to his call. He's focusing on him on love. And he's going to say, now do the work that I've called you to do, I've made you to do. And Peter turns into, Peter gets the Holy Spirit. And in Acts, um, which is the book that comes after John, he turns into this bold, fiery disciple, apostle of Jesus Christ, who really the church is built on. He precedes Paul. Paul isn't, Paul isn't a Christian yet, so he's the one that is leading the church. And he's the one that's getting taken to, there's this passage here, you don't, we're not going to read through all of it, but he's the one being taken to, um, he's arrested now also. And they're saying, you keep talking about Jesus, and you keep you keep blaspheming, like we got rid of Jesus so that we could be the Jewish people we're supposed to be, but you're still talking about this. You're talking about the resurrection. You're talking about him being Christ. And Peter now replies, we must obey God rather than humans. He's got the boldness. He's not afraid face-to-face with the people who can arrest him and kill him and arrested and kill Jesus. He's not afraid anymore. And I think that's what will change us and our fears. And of course, we have long lives to lead and we're going to go up and down like Peter did, but we have the Holy Spirit if we've asked Jesus into our hearts. And this is what Jesus says, do you love me? He says that to all of us. This is love that we live according to his commands, to the Lord's commands. This is the command you've heard from the beginning, live in love. Instead, love your enemies, do good lend expecting nothing, doing the work of kind of being a Christian, you'll be acting the way children of the Most High act. And then Jesus says in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, he gives the Great Commission, right? Teach your disciples, teach my future disciples to obey everything that I've commanded you. He calls the disciples to go to the ends of the earth and teach these um commands and teach them to obey them. I was thinking about love, and love can call out a lot of courageous behavior, and this isn't a clip, it's just a photo, but I liked it because it's, so it's Frozen, right? And one of the things about Frozen is you think it's this um, picture of romantic love again, but there's this sister love at the end that is really the courageous love and the true love and Anna is frozen and she's trying to rescue her love you know her her boyfriend love and she just can't quite get there but she sees Elsa and Elsa's in trouble Elsa's gonna get killed and she races over and she puts herself in front of it and she is kind of the, that picture in that moment of love conquering the fear love conquering the danger and that that's true love I've just got a couple more points. I have one quote from Bob Goff that I really like, and I think that it encapsulates everything from today. You may not be able to see it's kind of a thin font, but it says, most of our decisions are driven by either love or fear. 
Figure out who's doing the talking and then decide what you'll do. And that's it. So if you have any questions, I don't know if any came in. I probably am not going to try to answer them because that puts me on the spot and that's scary. <laughs> I might be wrong and that is one of my that is one of my core fears. <laughs> is being wrong and being wrong in public is even worse. <laughs> All right. So to wrap up the head point, Jesus reappears to us and refocuses us. If you're lost in the fear, go to Jesus, and he will refocus you. Lean into love, your love of God, your love of people, the love that the Holy Spirit cultivates in us, and continue in your call with courage. And I think that when Jesus refocuses you, he will also reaffirm your call. You'll, he'll recommission you. So if you're lost in even knowing what that is, I think that he he reaffirms that too. And your spiritual practice is either eat some fish, but Matt doesn't like fish. So I know some people don't like fish. Yeah. So the other option is to cook breakfast for yourself or for somebody, um, because that's what Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and for the picture that Peter is in failure, denying you, being afraid. And thank you for also including in John the reconciliation and the, uh, the restoration of Peter, knowing that you will do the same with us. And Lord, I pray that in our fears, as we experience it, you would be near to us, that you would call us back, and that you would fill us with the love that we need to be able to do your work and, um, and share that love with the world so that we can make more disciples of you. In Jesus' name, amen.